when I was a kid, my best friend was a hockey player. Uh, and we always used to play street hockey, and I had these thoughts that I would maybe one day be a good hockey player. Turns out I was never a good hockey player, but it was kind of fun playing with him in the street and learning how to you know, do wrist shots and slap shots and all that stuff, but there was one thing that I never learned. I never learned how to skate. So if I had dreams to become some great hockey player, they were kind of dashed right there by my negligence to kind of, you know, learn the basics of what I need to be to be a good hockey player. You need to learn how to ice skate. Can't play ice hockey without learning how to skate, right? You'd say it's pretty, that's pretty dumb. Well, there are some things in the Christian life that you do also need to learn how to do. Last week we said that you need the Bible in order to be a growing Christian. But there's also a skill that we're going to talk about today, that we've already referenced, that you need to learn how to do, and it's just as fundamental to the Christian life as ice skating is to ice hockey. And that skill is prayer. You and I, if we're going to be Christians, we need to know how to pray. In fact, I would even argue that you can't even become a Christian in any sense unless you pray. You can't even have your sins forgiven unless you pray. You can't grow in godliness unless you pray. There's a million things that come along with the Christian life that just can't happen unless you pray, which is why in the text we're going to look at today, I want everyone to grab a Bible and look at Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, verse 1 is where we're going to start. In this text, some people ask Jesus a great question. Say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And that's a question that I want us all to ask today, and I want you to approach this text thinking, Jesus, I want to learn how to pray, because that's so fundamental to the Christian life. I'm going to just take that, that preacher at his word that it's fundamental, and we're going to see here why it's so fundamental, but it says, teach us to pray. Now, this happens right after this whole scene with Mary and Martha. I don't know if that's familiar to you, but Mary and Martha, they were sisters, and one of them was really good at serving. The other was not really serving, and the good servant seemed to be the one that's good, but Jesus says, no, 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 it's the one who is paying attention to my words. You could do a lot of things for me, but without the right heart, and that's not so good. And Jesus says, he ends the last chapter with, he says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about a lot of things, but the one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. And then, right after that, it says Jesus was praying in a certain place. And I think there's a reference, there's a connection between that last story and this one, that this is the devotion to Christ that we need. Mary showed her devotion to God by sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him. There's a great connection to studying the, the topic of prayer, and not just studying it, putting it into practice. It says Jesus was in a certain place. And he was praying. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So what happened was they saw Jesus go away and leave them and then come back. And these people had been around Jesus long enough to know Jesus prays in a way that's different than maybe their parents had prayed or their rabbis had prayed. So they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Because there was also someone else who taught their disciples to pray, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is known for being a preacher. He's known for telling people to repent and turn from their sin. But for some reason, these disciples are saying, but he taught his disciples how to pray. We need to know how to pray. And now that's kind of a weird question because a lot of people don't ask that question today. I actually would, would bet that you've never asked that question like that. Teach me how to pray. Because maybe you think all it is is, you know, folding your hands, closing your eyes, or just putting your head down, or just thinking about whatever you want to think about. But prayer is, is a serious thing, if you know what it is. Prayer is you talking to God which if you even know the Bible, you know that you and I, if we're sinful, we can't just talk to God without someone standing between us. You guys studied that in the book of Hebrews recently, if you were in True North last year, but it says, teach us to pray. 
want you to ask that question this morning as you approach this text. I want to learn how to pray because it's so fundamental. Look what Jesus says. He says, when you pray, when you talk to God, here's what you should say. Father, hallowed be your name. So he's addressing God as the close, intimate relationship between like a, a child and a father. Hallowed be your name. That means, God, your name is holy. You, you are, you're to be praised. You're to be worshiped. All those things. Then he asks a question. He says, or not a question, a request. He says, your kingdom come, which is just a short, abbreviated phrase, which means a, a, a big, long thing in the Bible, which is all about Jesus coming to reign as the king and God being in charge. So he wants that to take place. So that's what he's saying. Hey, disciples, pray like that. Then he says, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, you've probably heard those words before. If you've ever been to church, if you ever grew up with any kind of religious background at all, you've probably heard this before in some form or fashion. This is kind of the shorter version, where in Matthew, there's even a longer version of this prayer, how Jesus teaches us to pray. But it's, it is that. It's when we look at this text, we should say, I need to pray like this. This is a model for me. The things that Jesus is saying we should pray for are the things that I should pray for. But he doesn't just stop there. Some people stop there, and that's all the sermon. Okay, we're going to try to go through all these points. Well, he says more. Look at what Jesus goes on to say in verse 5. He said to them, he's still talking about prayer, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, hey, friend, can I have uh, some In-N-Out burger? Can I have three loaves? Give me something. I need something to eat. I don't have a meal to feed my friend, verse 6, who just arrived on a long journey, and I have nothing to set before him. So he's going to tell a story. He says, this is what prayer is like. He says, there's a guy who has company come late at night, and he's got nothing to feed him. So, okay, I'm scrambling, going to all my friends. Hey, do you have some money for food? Do you have some loaves? And he asks another person, verse number seven, he says, and when he will answer from within, if you go to a friend's house, he'll say, hey, don't bother me. It's, it's midnight. It's 2 a.m. Don't bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me, and I can't get up and give them anything. Okay, and by the way, if you're thinking, that's kind of weird. I can't even go to my front door. What kind of house is being described here? A very, very small house, a one-bedroom studio apartment, right? One, one room where everything happens in one room, including every child is, is asleep right now. You got your six-year-old, you got your two-year-old, you got your newborn, you got all these kids, all these people in one room, okay? That's the room that's being described. That's why he can't just get up and make some, some dinner at midnight. But here's what it says next. Jesus, as he explains prayer, he says, I tell you, verse number eight, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, he will get up because of his impudence, which is a word you don't use very often. What that means is the shameless boldness of going to someone else's house in the middle of the night and asking for food. That's not appropriate, right? And let me just put that, okay, don't come to my house in the middle of the night asking me for food. That's like, there's a kind of you're crossing the line, right? If I went to your house in the middle of the night and just, you know, your parents somehow let me come to your room and I just bang on your door, I need some food, I need some food. You'd be like, whoa. Like, that's inappropriate. Like, can't you, you can get somewhere else, right? It's, it's, it's crossing the line. It's, it's, it feels like it's too much to ask. It's, it's not the right time, not the right place. Here's what Jesus says. That is what prayer is like, too. You can go to God with that kind of boldness, and guess what? God is willing to answer because it's not inappropriate for God to answer. In fact, God wants you to go to him with that kind of boldness, unlike the friend. This is an argument from the lesser to the greater, which means the bad friend will finally say, okay, here's some loaves. But how much more do you think God is ready and willing to hear your prayers? It's not like going to a friend at midnight 
and it, it doesn't bother God. God is inviting it and asking for it. Prayer is not something that, that Jesus says, oh, you want to learn how to pray? You don't want to know how to do that. That's not good for you. Don't do that. Don't get into that. There's a lot of things that Jesus might push back on. Not prayer. Verse number nine. He says, and I tell you, now he's going to apply the parable. He says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. That's not a general principle about life. This is specifically about prayer. He says, if you want your prayers answered, here's what you need to do. You need to ask, you need to seek, you need to knock. Those three things basically all mean the same thing. You need to pursue an answer to this prayer. Don't pray once and then forget about it. No, keep praying for the things that you're asking God for. Then he gives another example, verse number 11. What father among you, who, if he has a son, asks him for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Right? It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to give Eden for her first meal. I'm going to give her, I don't know, um, a porcupine. Uh, no, not going to do that. Not going to give her uh, cockroaches for dinner. Right? She's barely starting to eat bananas and those carrots that you all mash up and stuff. No, she, she probably would not do well with a cockroach or a scorpion um, or, you know, an egg maybe, maybe a fish. I don't, we don't really eat fish, but whatever. Um, an egg maybe, but not a scorpion. Not going to give my kid a scorpion. Says, you know what? Even evil parents, they, they give their kids food. And they, even bad people, let's just say in the world, they're not going to give their kids scorpions. Then he says this, if you then who are evil, Right? If just people out there in the world, you give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You might say, whoa, whoa, what are we talking about the Holy Spirit there? Well, at this point in Jesus' ministry, what else would be more impactful and more important for the Christian life than God giving the Holy Spirit? That's going to happen in Acts chapter 2. And that happens for each one of us when we become real Christians. He does give the Spirit to us. And when he gives us the Holy Spirit and we become real Christians, then he gives us the rest of everything we need later on. It's just interesting when you look at a passage like this where someone says, teach us how to pray. Jesus gives a lot for us, which is why there's a lot here. You got a lot of things on your worksheet. But I want you to understand that you and I, we need to learn how to pray. I know that's really dumb. That's the title. Obviously, you need to learn how to pray because I want you to imagine someone comes up to you and asks that question. Teach me how to pray. You might say, this is so basic, I know all this stuff, but I want you to really think it through. Non-Christian comes, stand next to you, and says, hey, you're a Christian, teach me how to pray. Like, what are you going to say? Like, what are you going to, oh, yeah, you bow your head, and you close your eyes, and you talk. Well, talk to who? About what? There's a lot that goes into this, that I think if you're going to be adult, mature, growing Christian, you need to know how to pray, and you need to know how to teach others how to pray as well. Jesus basically breaks this up into two things. He says, here's what you should pray for. That's verses number one to four. And then he says, here's how you should pray, verses five to 13. So I want to break it up in those two different sections. First of all, if we're going to pray for the right things, we need to know what to pray for. So point number one is this. I'd love for you to write it down. Pray for the right things. Okay? If we're going to start to learn how to pray, you as a Christian, if you're a real follower of Christ, well, you need to pray for the right things. He says, teach us how to pray. How would you answer that question? Someone said, what should I pray for? What is prayer? What, what am I doing? I think one thing to remember is in prayer, what it is, you'd probably start by explaining who God is, right? You'd say, well, there's a God who made you and who made me, and he's the only God. But he invites you and me to talk to him. You'd probably say something like that if someone said, teach me how to pray. One of the things that I hope you think through is, if you're talking to the God of the universe, you better remember who you're talking to when you pray, right? 
the Bible says a lot about who God is. We, we read Psalm 65. The, the God who answers and hears our prayers is also the one who established the mountains. The one who all the people at the ends of the earth, people like us who are on the other side of the world, we can even see the glory of God and worship him. That God, you better remember who it is. Just like if you were talking to a celebrity or an important person or you sat down you know, behind a desk and someone important was on the other side of the desk, a judge or a police officer or a principal or some, someone like that, you better remember your manners, right? Because you're going to talk to your principal different than you're going to talk to your friend. You're even going to talk to a teacher or a police officer or someone that you meet in the community who's like an older authority figure. You're probably going to talk to them differently than you're going to talk to your friend. I hope you have that much respect. Well, remember who God is. Okay? That's the first thing Jesus gets into. In verse number two, if he says, you want to learn how to pray, remember who God is. He's your father. He's someone who's holy, and he's someone who's bringing a kingdom. Okay? So that first subpoint, if we're going to think about praying for the right things, here's the first thing. I want you to pray for God's honor and God's plan. If we're praying for the right things, that's where Jesus starts. He says, first of all, start by praying about God. Sometimes we think too simplistically about prayer, that all prayer is is requests. Okay? Requests are sometimes what we pray for, but we don't always, our prayer is not comprehensively all about what we're asking for. It's also talking to God about God. Now, that might sound weird, but if you think about any relationship you have with anybody, part of what you do is you talk to them about them. But with God, there's so much more to talk about, that God is holy. That's what hallowed means, that he's a just God, that he's righteous, that he's the creator. So here's basically what I'm telling you to do. When you pray, don't jump in and out of that conversation without thinking about who God is, without praying for God's honor, thinking about how my prayer requests right now are going to bring some kind of honor or glory to God. That has to be something that filters through a lot of our prayers. You know, even calling God Father, there's so much theology baked into that, but that's something really that only real Christians can do, which is why if you read this passage, this is a passage for Christians, if you think about it, right? Praying for God's kingdom to come. You don't want God's kingdom to come if you're not a Christian, right? If you're not a follower of Christ, you do not want his kingdom to come, Uh, You don't want God's name to be hallowed. You want yourself to be promoted. So this is only really a prayer that people who are right with God can kind of pray, So I just want that to be clear, because as you call God Father, just remember, he might be a father of everyone in a general sense, but he is a specific, loving, caring father for those who know him through Jesus. So he says, Father, hallowed be your name. A couple passages for you to write down about that. Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? That God, you should think of as holy and righteous, and when you talk to him, tell God that. Tell him. Okay, if you look at any prayer in the Bible, think about Moses, think about Elijah, think about Daniel. You know one thing they're always doing? They're always talking about God to God, right? If you look at Daniel 9, if you look at Daniel 4, these prayers, guess what they're doing? Talking to God about God. You ever read the Psalms and think about the songs that the Israelites sang? Guess what they're all about? They're all about God, So our prayers, guess what they should really be all about? They should really be all about God, Psalm 57 is an example for you. I'd love for you to write that down. Psalm 57, verse 7. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. It says, my heart is steadfast, Oh God, my heart is steadfast. That means solid. It means I'm not moving from this. I will sing and make melody to you. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. Like, pull out the guitar, grab the bass, grab the drumsticks, grab the cymbals, because we're ready to, to sing some songs, ready to worship here. He says, I will give you thanks, O Lord, among the peoples. I don't care. 
who thinks it's weird that I'm giving God thanks, I'll say it. I'll say it in front of people that I don't know. I'll say it in front of strangers. I'll say it in front of family members. I will thank God all the time is what he's saying. I'll sing praises to you among the nations. Your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. It's obviously poetic language, but what is it saying? God's goodness is so great. It go, how high does it go up? Well, it goes up to the clouds. Right? How far does it go? Well, it goes to the ends of the earth. That's just all figurative language to say God is really good. And that's what they're talking to God about. He says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. It's important for us to give God glory when we pray. Remember who he is. Another passage for you to write down. Psalm 115, verses 1 to 3. Later, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 115, the psalmist says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. I want you to think about that as a prayer. If you go to God and pray, you know, that's a helpful thing to say to God. Not to me. I'm not praying so that I'm going to have some good thing for me. I'm not praying about me. This is about you, God. Not to us, but to your name give glory. Whatever I'm about to pray to you, God, I pray that it gives you honor and you glory. Guess what that starts to have you do? You stop, you stop praying for some things and you start praying for others, if that's how you think about prayer. He says, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. When you're thinking about praying to God, you got to remember things like this. He's holy. He says, your kingdom come that's another important thing when you think about how to pray, your kingdom come. That means we're praying for God to be the ruler over every last person. Okay? There's going to come a day when God is the ruler over every last person, when Jesus comes back. But how is that expressed in the here and now? I think God's kingdom comes. One way that we can pray for God's kingdom to come is that he continue to add people to that group of people that will be in his kingdom. That when we pray to God, what's one thing that God really wants you to pray for? He really wants you to pray that he would save somebody in your life. He really wants you to pray that people in your family, maybe some of your parents who aren't saved, maybe some of your extended relatives or your grandmas or grandpas or people at your school, he says, pray for that. Pray that I would save them. If you don't believe it, here's another passage for you to write down. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, when Paul's giving instructions to Timothy about how the church should run, here's what he says should happen in church. He says, first of all then, I urge, I'm telling you, Timothy, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. That's four different words that all talk about prayer. That should happen in church. We should pray for people, made for all people. What kinds of people? Well, verse 2 says, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So that we pray for people who even are our leaders or governmental authorities or people that are our teachers or our coaches. It's a good thing to pray for those people, and we need to remember that God's going to do something. Verse 4 says, because God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What's something that you should be praying for people in your life. Well, you should be praying that God's going to bring them to the knowledge of the truth, because that's something that God says, I love to do. I love to answer that prayer. Later, Jesus says in verse number three of our text, that request, give us each day our daily bread. That might seem like a silly prayer, um, because maybe you're gluten-free, um, so you don't want <laughs> your daily bread. Uh, what does that mean? Give us each day our daily bread. I, I think put simply, your second sub point, I, I want you to pray for your constant needs. Okay? 
So where do we start? Well, we start with God. We start with his glory. But what else are we praying for? Your constant needs. Do you realize how much you need constantly? Sometimes we don't think about how much we need. We think, well, I don't need food because I know where it's coming from. Right? What are you going to have for lunch? Half you might not even know. Right? I don't know. I'll have you know, pizza or I'll have In-N-Out or I'll have Canes. You're not going to have Chick-fil-A because it's closed. Like, you'll have something, though, right? And, and most of you probably aren't even thinking about it because God's just going to do this. He's just going to open his hand. He's going to be like, boom, right there. Right? And we don't think about prayer, but did you pray today that God would feed you? Right? I bet very, very few people in this room this morning woke up and said, God, please give me enough food today. And I know that sounds silly because it's like, okay, are we just like pray, playing pretend like there's no food available? Well, he, here's what this does for you and me. When you pray that God would take care of your basic, simple needs, you are declaring that you're dependent on him because you are, because that's the truth. Whether you think you're dependent on God or not, you are. Every last meal, every last breath, every last time your heart beats, it's only because God does that to you, because God sustains you. Psalm 145, verse 15 says, The eyes of all look to you, God, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. So when you eat In-N-Out Burger later on today and you are just, oh, so good, right? The fries are good, the ketchup's good, the way the cheese melts on the bun, it's just really good, right? In-N-Out Burger, okay, God is doing that for you. I know that's a weird thing because you think, okay, no, no, the guy with the, with, with the white thing and the, the, the red hat made it for me at In-N-Out Burger. Yeah, but where did it come from? Well, it came from factory. Well, where did it come from before that? Well, it came from like, I don't know, a, a farm. Okay, where did it come from before that? Well, it came from a cow. Well, where did that cow come from? Well, it came from another cow. Where did that come from? Well, everything comes back to God, right? And God is the one who orchestrated the whole thing, every last detail, every last breath of all the cows to get them wherever they need to go. God made it all happen so that when you open up your mouth, your teeth will bite down on In-N-Out Burger. Okay, is that weird? That's kind of an, an odd thought, right? But guess what? That's how God operates. God provides and sustains our lives. So what should we pray for? We should pray for our daily bread. We should pray for our constant needs. You need your health to be sustained. And that's why many of you, and this has been true for me too, um, you don't pray very much for your health until you're sick, right? You're like, oh, good health. I need good health back when you got the flu or when you're throwing up or you got a sore throat or something like that. You're like, oh, God, please make me healthy, right? Praying for your daily bread involves you praying to God for continued good health, for food, for your constant needs, things that we don't even think about. Also included in praying for your daily bread, I think, is, is the thanksgiving aspect to God. That's why a lot of times before meals, we will pray. We'll, we'll direct our thoughts to God and say, God, you provided this for me. Thank you. That's why oftentimes we pray maybe in the morning for God's daily bread, and then when we get the daily bread and it's sitting right in front of you, that's why a lot of Christians say, let's stop, because look what God did. God got this meal together for us. Let's pray. Let, let's thank God for it, right? That's what a lot of people do, and that's a great thing. That's a practice I do. It's a practice you should do. Pray to God. Thank God. That's why First Thessalonians chapter 5 says that you should rejoice always. You should pray without ceasing, and here's the kind of prayers that you can give to God all the time, right? Giving thanks in all circumstances. That's part of praying for your daily bread, thanking God for that. In our passage, it also says, pray for the forgiveness of your sins. Pray that you'd continue to forgive everyone who's indebted to you and lead us not into temptation. So all that stuff is surrounding your, your spiritual life, right? Sin and doing what's right and, and doing what's wrong, like you're praying for, for all that stuff. 
Point number C, not a point, but the next thing for you to write down, something that you should pray for, I pray for the right things, is for your sanctification. Pray for your sanctification. Now, that's a Bible word, but here's what it means. If you don't know what that word means, it means that you would be made more holy, that you would be more righteous. God cares about your heart and your behavior and your forgiveness and your love for others. He really does care about that. And here's what he says. Pray for that. Ask me for that. And watch me grow you. Forgives us our sins. I mean, let's think about that. That's why I said it earlier. I know it's kind of a weird thought, but you can't even become a Christian at all without praying. If you think back, if you're a Christian, think back to when you became a Christian, if you can. Um, what were you doing when God saved you? Like, what, what were you doing when God saved you? Guess what you were doing? You were praying. You were calling out on God. You were asking God to forgive you of your sins. You were transferring your trust to Jesus. Like, when that happened, you were, you were praying, right? First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, so you might say, well, I believe I'm a Christian. I believe I'm forgiven. Okay, great. Um, how often do you pray that you would be kept from certain temptations? How often do you ask God, God, please, I know I've got this temptation in my life. I know I've got this sin. Please keep me from it. Please protect me. Please grow my desire to do what's right. Because there's so many times, like, I want to do what's wrong. So God, please help me do what's right. Please help me want what's right. Some of you are Christians, and maybe you haven't been growing as much recently, and you've been thinking, hmm, like, why am I not growing as much as I used to, maybe a while ago? Or maybe there was a time in my life where I was growing more. Okay, let, let's stop and take a little test real quick. Um, what does your prayer life look like right now? There's always a, a correspondence to your life on the outside, public life and your private prayer life. There will, there will be a correspondence. You're not going to be all growing and excited to do what's right and, and loving people more if you're also not praying. And if you're praying, God's faithful to answer this prayer. Sometimes we look at prayer and we say, well, are there any guarantees in prayer? Right? Like if I ask God for something, he doesn't always answer exactly how I want to. Is there anything in his word that he says he's going to do if I ask for it? Well, if you know your Bible, you know there are some things. One of them is this, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, this is the will of God for your life, which basically means this. This is what God wants for you. So if I pray for this, God wants to answer this prayer request, okay? Here's what it is. Your sanctification, the word I had you write down. That's what God wants for you. If you're a Christian, God wants you to stop sinning in certain areas, and he wants you to grow. So what should I pray for? Well, I should pray that I'm not going to sin in that certain area. How much? Once, twice, three times? No, continually. And in that passage, here's what sanctification looked like for them. This is the will of God for your life, your sanctification. Here was their problem. It says that you guys, Thessalonians, would abstain from sexual immorality. For some of you, that's the big one when you think of, okay, something's wrong between me and God. Yeah, it's, it's sexual sin. Like, that's the thing that stands between me and God. Sexual desires that are wrong, sexual gratification that's wrong, sexual lust that's wrong, something like that on that spectrum, that's one of the major areas that we need to be sanctified. And for them, that was their big problem. And he's going to go on to say, remember, um, God wants you to be holy. He wants you to get out of that stuff. So please pray for that. Don't just say, oh, I, I struggle, I'm, I'm bad with it. No, pray, 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 keep praying, and then pray some more. And then watch God answer that prayer. 1 Corinthians 10, 
verse 12 says, therefore, if anyone thinks he stands, if anyone thinks, oh, I'm good, I'm not going to be tempted, I'm not going to fall into sin, here's what God says, if anyone thinks he stands, take heed, be careful, look around, watch your feet, because you're going to fall. Then it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to mankind. There's people all over this room right now, even in this room, that are tempted in the same ways that you are. What God says is, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. If you don't pray for that, like you're not going to look for the way of escape, you're just, just going to jump into sin. Right? And for those of you who want to be sanctified, and you know, like, okay, there are certain things. I want to be less proud. I want to be less angry. I want to be less lustful. I want to be less anxious. And you can identify areas in your life. Okay, here's the question. What does your prayer life look like in regards to those things? Do you ever ask? Do you ever ask God for victory in those things if you're a real Christian? God gives victory when you pray. But it takes work, but you've got to pray and pray some more, which is why he gives this story. Back in Luke 11, what's the story he tells? It's like you're going to your friend at midnight. An inconvenient, weird time, but guess what? He invites it with him. He says, the man, he doesn't want to hear you. Just like, you don't want me knocking on your door at midnight asking for In-N-Out Burger, right? Just like, I don't want you knocking at my door asking for food in the middle of the night. I'm like, go to Taco Bell, get it yourself, right? Um, I'm not going to give it to you. Here's the thing. God says, I want that kind of impudence or that kind of boldness. He's asking for you to be bold. He's asking for you to come to him. That's why he says, ask, seek, knock. Like the whole point of all of that is getting you to say, God is inviting my prayer. So it's not inconvenient. It's not bad. Think about, think about this. God has done everything possible to open up the way for you to pray and for me to pray. But how often do you pray? Has, has God dealt with the sin problem? Has he provided a mediator between God and man? Has he provided a high priest for you? Hebrews chapter 7. He's done all of that. And he said, pray. No, ask, seek, knock. But do we pray? Do we pray rightly? Point number two, I want you to, don't just pray. I want you to pray with the right attitude, which is I think what he gets at here. When you pray, don't just pray for the right things. Don't just have the right words, but pray in the right way. Three things that he says. First one from this story about the bold guy in the middle of the night. The lesson for you and me is when you pray, you need to be more bold. That's, that's the first thing I want you to write down. Be more bold. If you're going to pray with the right attitude, what does it look like? Well, it looks like being more bold. James 4 says that a lot of people want things and they never get them. And then he asks people a question. Maybe it's that you don't have that thing from God because you didn't ask for it from God. Oftentimes we complain, maybe some of you Christians, you complain, oh, I'm just not growing. You know, I, I don't really feel like reading my Bible. Like there was a time maybe where I did, but I, I don't really feel like it. Right? Well, maybe you don't have that desire because you don't ask for that desire. Right? I, I just don't see people who are spiritually dry, who are not loving other people. I just don't see that when they're praying all the time. I just don't see it. I don't see people who are not zealous for good works when they're constantly finding a place like Jesus to go away and pray all the time. Those are the people. Right? You look around in the room. Whoever in the room right now is most zealous for God, those are the ones who are praying. I just don't see it happen 
without a good prayer life. It's never going to happen for you without a good prayer life. Some of you think that that's, that stuff I just described is only for other people, right? Maybe it's their personalities or maybe their giftings. No, it's, it's the people who pray. It says you don't have because you don't ask. James 4, 2. Impudence. That's a word that means shameless boldness. Man asks for too much and at a bad time. God says, you're not asking for too much and you're not asking at a bad time. So, so come ask. Be more bold. Then the text says, ask, seek, knock. I think that that's describing as a kind of consistency in prayer. So if you're going to pray with the right attitude, here's another thing you need to do. Second thing, you need to be more consistent. Be more consistent. With your attitude, it needs to be tenacious. It needs to be persevering. I'm going to keep asking God for this. Because sometimes here's what we do. We ask God once, and then we don't see the answer that we expect when it comes to something God wants. And we say, oh, see, God must not want that for us. God must not want me to be holy because I prayed, and I I didn't see it through. Some of you have even said that about your salvation. Um, I've heard it for people who are, you know, getting baptized. I prayed, and it felt like it didn't work. Uh, Keep praying. Pray some more. You, you want to know God. You want to confess your sin. Go keep praying and then pray some more. It's just so interesting that when it comes to anything else, we are tenacious. We are tenacious about finding answers. If you got sick today, you would go on WebMD and you would find all the weird things that are wrong with you. And you'd be like, all right, I got like 12 symptoms. It's either like I've either got cancer or I've got a sickness or like there's something wrong with me. Like I and I'm looking at all these things on WebMD, and you, is this just me who does this? Is, do you do this too when you get sick? You're like, okay, so I have a fever, but I don't have this. Everyone did this with COVID, right? Because, you know, it's like everyone's got COVID. Um, it was everyone had all these symptoms, and then you're figuring out. Everyone plays doctor, right? And you you got to find out, right? I, reminded, I was reminded of this last week. Our game crew director for Revival was telling me about trying to find more um, Nerf weapons for Revival. It's kind of nerdy, but... Um, at Revival, when we play Hunger Games, which is making a comeback this summer, don't worry. Um, we bought weapons. This sounds so dumb if you don't know any of this. But we bought these Nerf swords and maces 10 years ago. And we've had them for 10 years. And just imagine all the, you know, smacking people over the course of 10 years. You need to replenish them, right? Well, get this. They don't make those Nerf swords anymore. They don't make them anymore. Okay. Spencer, I guess, has looked this up. You go look them up. They were probably 12, 13 bucks when they were made. If you find some old vintage ones, 2011 Nerf, like, battle axes, I think is what they're called, so nervy. Um, They go for, like, 60 bucks on eBay. So we bought everything we could find for Revival this year. We scoured the internet. Nelson was telling me, oh, I found them from Amazon. You know when Amazon sells like the old things in the packaging, but it's not from Amazon. It's from some seller on Amazon. We got some swords from Amazon. He got some maces from eBay. It was like he scoured the place because he's like, we need more. We don't have enough. So he did that for you, right? But it's what you do when you want to find something that you want to buy on the internet, right? You're looking everywhere. Then you're going to get coupon codes, and then you're just going to you're going to save money, and you scour the internet to find what you want. Right? We all do it for different things. You've done it before, too. That's the kind of tenacity. That's the kind of perseverance that I'm asking you. Can you bring that to your prayer life? When you ask, can you ask some more? 
Can you search some more? Can you knock some more? Can you keep asking? Because if it's something that God has promised, he's going to fulfill his promises. If you ask for wisdom, keep asking, because he says he'll give it. If you ask for sanctification, keep asking, because he says he'll give it. If you want assurance of your salvation, keep asking. Keep going to God about that. If you want to bear more good fruit, John 15 says, ask for it. Keep asking. If you're in Luke 11, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 18. Turn to the right in your Bibles real quick. Luke 18, just a few pages over. Jesus tells two parables here. One of them is about, or both of them are about prayer. But the first one is about people who go to God and don't get what they want right away. And again, maybe I should qualify all this by, by saying, I'm not talking about you praying that you'd be prettier. I'm not asking for you to pray and ask God, can you please make me rich? I'm not asking for those type of things, right? We're asking for things that God has said he wants to do in you. He wants you to be a good evangelist. He wants you to love other people. He wants you to be used in this world to stand up for him. He wants you to grow in your knowledge of him. He wants you to be wise. There's a million things in the Bible that he wants you to be. It doesn't say he wants you to be rich and famous and popular and healthy and well. Not none of that, okay? But here's what he says in verse number one. This is Luke 18, one. It says, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Here's what happens when we pray for things and they don't get answered. We get discouraged. We lose heart. We think, well, Maybe God doesn't listen to my prayers. Maybe, maybe God doesn't want to answer me. Well, he tells a story. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversaries. For while he refused, but afterwards, so he was saying, no, 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 I'm not going to listen to you, lady. You're not worth my time. Afterwards, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her t- continual coming. He's like, I'm annoyed. You know, you got people in your life that are annoying, right? Your little siblings. Are, it's like, all right, fine. Whatever you want, I'll do it because you're just so annoying. That's a story that Jesus tells. Right? But here's what he says. If that unrighteous judge is willing to do that, will not, verse number seven, and will not God give justice to his elect, his people, who cry to him day and night? Do you think God's not gonna answer your prayers? Even if, and think this through, justice is the the idea here, right? That some people are treated wrongly. Maybe it's a rich, poor thing. Maybe it's a family thing. You know, who knows? But do you think God's not eventually gonna see that through for you? That he's not gonna care enough about you to preserve you from that? Even if you're being persecuted, I want you to think about the people in the church that have been persecuted. They could pray for protection and for protection and help. And guess what? They're safe now, right? God is going to answer that prayer, whether in this life or the next, for his people. Will not God give justice to his elect who cried him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. God's going to answer those prayers. Nevertheless, Here's the problem for most of us. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? If Jesus comes back in your generation and my generation, will he find people who are praying? Will he find you praying? Or will he find you, as many Christians, um, yeah, I pray sometimes. I pray when I can think of it. I, I pray sometimes in the car. Oh, yeah, sometimes. I want to challenge you and push you. You need to pray more consistently. Lastly, he says, remember, you pray knowing that your heavenly father is ready and willing to give. Sometimes when we pray, one of our problems is we don't pray with the right kind of faith and trust in God. 
Last thing I want you to write down is I want you to be more trusting. Right? What about your attitude can change with prayer? Well, more bold, more consistent, also more trusting. Remember who you're talking to. Remember what God has promised to us. John 14, verse 13. Once you've written that down, once you write down John 14, 13. John 14, 13 says, whatever you ask in my name, this is Jesus talking, whatever you ask or pray in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's interesting, like, if Jesus came to you and said, whatever you ask me in my name, right, according to the honor and praise of God that's going to benefit and glorify Jesus, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Like, if you're brand new to all this, you're thinking, wow, that's a big promise. If you've been around the block a while, you're like, oh, yeah, I know that, but that's, like, not really what it means. It, it means, like, you know, uh, that God, you know, sometimes if, if maybe he wants to, he might give some. That's not what he says. He says, ask, and I will do it. In God's sovereign plan, you know, he, he wants people like you and me to pray, and then he's going to answer those prayers in his sovereign plan. Don't let that get in the way of your prayer life. God asks you to ask. It's part of his will and his work. He says again, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What does that mean in my name? That means with the authority of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, ask him. You're asking him for wisdom. Well, then ask him in Jesus' name. Say, God, your scriptures promise. You said in James 1.5 that if I ask for wisdom, you'll give it. So God, please give me wisdom. You look at passages like 1 John that talk about forgiveness from sin, and, and you say, God, this text says, in your word says, that if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive me. So God, please keep your promise. Ask with that kind of trust that he will keep his promises. If there's anything that should inspire your faith through your prayers, it's what Jesus did for you. I know that might sound unrelated, but it, in Romans 8.32, Romans 8.32, Paul says something very interesting. It's almost like a throwaway line. Not a throwaway line, but it, it's almost like away from the point, but it, it does make a big difference for us. Here's what he says. He's talking about, hey, if God's for you, who can be against you? He's talking about persecution and all that stuff. If you've got a relationship with God, that's most important. But then he says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right? If you want more proof that God is willing to answer prayers, here's where you should look. Look at what Jesus did for you. Do you think God is not also going to answer the prayers of his people? Look what he did. He answered the prayers of generations and generations of people by sending a Savior. If you want proof or evidence, if you're that empirical type of person that you need the absolute proof right in front of you, well, look what Jesus did. That's all the evidence you will ever need to know that God answers his people prayers. There's nothing more that God could do to prove that he answers the prayers of his people. I want to challenge you with that. There's nothing more God could have done. Like literally think, is there anything more that God could have done to prove to you and to me that he answers prayers? Did he stop answering prayers after the Bible was written? No. Right? Read any biography of any Christian. You know what they're going to talk about all the time? I prayed and God answered. Right? They, they'll say Psalm 34. This man prayed, the poor man cried and he prayed and God answered. He delivered me question for you is, do you trust Jesus enough to be bold and consistent? Do you trust him enough to ask? Are you disciplined enough to keep going and consistently asking, seeking, and knocking? Your prayer life is expressed in, in the rest of your life, and I've said this before, and I said it earlier, but um, 
your growth in godliness, your love for others, your boldness in evangelism, your zeal for God, all of that will be corresponding with your prayer life. It's, it's kind of like what a lot of people say about you get out what you put in. Right? You ever heard that phrase? You get out what you put in. Right? I was in a bowling league once. This is so nerdy too. Um, I was in a bowling league. This is confessions. Uh, I was probably 12 years old. So I was a little too, I wasn't a kid kid, but I was getting older. When I was in this bowling league, I had a really, really bad attitude. And I, you know, arms crossed. I don't want to go today. I even had my own bowling ball, right? This is how bad it was. Uh, I did not want to go. It was the first time I started bowling without um, bumpers. I don't know if you know bowling. I was rolling like 35s or like 40s. Like it was trial by fire. For some reason, my parents wanted me to be a good bowler or something because they put me in this bowling league. Dude, I was like, it was like, so, so 35, by the way, is like impossible if you have bumpers. That means I was just like gutter ball, gutter ball, gutter ball. I had a horrible attitude because I wasn't good at it, right? And that's kind of how I was and still am. Like, like oh, if I don't, I'm not good at it, like, oh, forget it. Um, it's how I'm with soccer. Like, I'm not good at soccer, whatever. I'm not good at it. Um, but bowling, I was just so bad at bowling. I hated it. And I was so stubborn this one summer in like 2008 or whatever, it was a hot summer, whatever it was, and I, I just hated it. Until I had one good, good game. Like I might have rolled 100 or something, which at that point, when you're rolling 40s, you know. That's, 40 is so bad in bowling. I just, I don't know, like maybe you don't understand, like that means you're gutter balling like more than you're hitting pins. Like you've got 20 shots at hitting 10 pins, with spares and strikes, and you only hit 34 pins down? Like, I was, I was just a very angry kid, too. I was so mad. But then I started getting, you know, a little more interested, and I, I rolled a good game. And then guess what? Little Johnny boy cared about how good he was at bowling, started putting in the work. And then I got better, and I got better, because, like, then I started to get out what I put in. But for a long time, I went through my, my eight-week season of just hating bowling. I hated it because I didn't put anything into it, right? Because I didn't try, because I didn't want to get better, because I thought, oh, this is stupid, because I'm not good at it, and I was pouty. Um, I know you might not think of yourself like that as a Christian, but maybe some of us are kind of like that. Um, Maybe we're upset or unsatisfied because we're not really putting in what we need to put in. And we're not getting out, certainly. God's not blessing us in certain ways in our sanctification and our spiritual growth and our love for others. Well, because we're not praying about it all the time. But if you and I get to work and we put in the work and we pray and we really ask God for it, there is a good sense of we get out what we put in. God is willing to hear our prayers and answer them. So let's pray right now that we would be better prayers, that we'd respond to Jesus' teaching about let's teach us how to pray. Well, we want to take this away and learn what we can and apply it. So let's pray right now that we do that. God, please help us with this. You know that we can be stubborn and we can be negligent and we can be undisciplined. So we confess those things right now and I just pray that everyone here who's praying along with me would confess their um, prayerlessness in whatever form that has come. I pray that you would call us to prayer this morning and that we would be more effective evangelists, that we'd be more holy Christians 
that we'd be more loving friends, that we'd be more Christ-like in our behavior and our attitudes and our actions because we put this into practice this morning. Please help us be consistent. Please grow us through this. We promise, you promise in your word that you will answer our prayers and we trust you that you will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, guys, see you on Wednesday night.